0: Welcome to the Risk Matters Podcast. My name is Cassie O'Brien and I'm an employee benefits consultant here in our Richmond, Virginia office. I've been with Scott for about three years.
1: And I'm Nancy Ahrens and I'm a risk advisor on the property and casualty side, working with clients on their program design here in the Richmond office. I've been with Scott for 20 years.
0: Nancy and I are new voices to the podcast and we're excited to be here. March is International Women's Month, and throughout the month, our Scott social media channels have been highlighting women leaders who serve at various Scott clients. Today, we're happy to be joined by Ellis McHugh, who serves as CEO at Territory Foods. Welcome to the podcast, Ellis. Thank you guys so much. I'm excited to be here.
1: We are thrilled to have you, and it's a great month.
0: That's right. Um, And Ellis, uh, we've got Nancy and I've got to know you over the past year. And um, we both looked at each other uh, for this podcast and just uh, you came to both of our minds immediately. And so we appreciate you taking some time uh, to just tell your story and and to tell the story of Territory Foods. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited. And what an amazing month to be
2: a part of a great podcast.
0: Well, with that, I'm going to jump right in. Um, Ellis, you've been leading the team over at Territory Foods for a little more than two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, First, can you just share a little bit about, uh, a little bit more about the mission of Territory and how you approach your work?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Territory Foods is a direct-to-consumer fresh food platform that empowers healthy eating by facilitating tiny sustainable changes in our customers' lives. So what that really means is that we have really great food. Um, We partner with a network of 40 chefs and restaurants, and they all produce artisan, crafted, individually, fully prepared fresh meals. So I'm not asking you to cook anything. I'm not asking you to prepare anything after your long day. Um, And through our platform, we actually leverage 90,000 points of data that we capture weekly to identify trends in health, wellness, and nutrition. And then we guide our customers towards personalized nutrition paths for the goals that they're trying to reach. So sometimes those goals look like mitigating blood pressure, sometimes it's trying to lose weight, and sometimes it's just trying not to go insane after a really long work week and put out a nice meal for your family. Um, So all of our food is free of gluten, sugar, and dairy, and inflammatory oils, and we focus really heavily on biodiversity so that we can drive the benefits of things like phytonutrients and all the really cool, sexy science that's out there about the new world of food as medicine, but the most important thing about Territory is that we make it super easy and super delicious, and that people really just want to love what they eat. So we make it really easy to eat well. That's our our core mission.
0: Well, um, Ellis, I can attest to that. So I... Um I have ordered uh, some of Territory food, so I'm I'm a customer, uh, and so are are, uh, several other people um, who I'm acquaintances with, and I'm a busy mom. I know you're a mom, and at the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is take my kids to a fast food restaurant, and Mm -hmm. um, so I have to say my kids love the salmon um, entree, as do I. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's made my night easier uh, many, many, many a week, so
2: That's what I think is time. so amazing because it's so interesting, you know, with Territory, we do a really simple thing, we feed people. Um and we work with an amazing community of culinary creators to do so. Our chefs and the restaurants that we work with are incredible small businesses. They're all independent and they have their own stories, they have their own dreams, and what we're able to do with them is read into the data that we have and say, "Hey, we see a need for this in this customer segment." So, What that means is our new moms are looking for this type of nutrition, or they're looking for this flavor profile, and it's not just for them, it's for their family. And then we're able to iterate with our culinary partners and bring out those new dishes, new cuisines, new different styles um, in really four short weeks. So really fast and really innovative, and always be serving the customer something new and fresh. And I think that's really key to us at Territory, is always to be innovative but in a really customer centric way that always gets down to the who are we trying to serve and what are we doing for them? Because um, I think food is intimate. Food is one of those things where if you don't like it, you don't want to eat it. And it's, it's really that simple. Um, and the fact that we can help people become
0: more healthy is an amazing upshot out of that. For sure. And um, again, I've I've been the beneficiary of, of some of those chefs I love and, um, and they make me look really good. So <laughs> <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> um, So, Ellis, on another point and sort of leaning in more to, to the uh, um, International Women's Month, um, yeah. just can you tell us a little bit more about your professional journey Um, and what brought you where you are today? And, and we love to ask this question because, you know, male, female, we all have our own journey to tell, Mm -hmm. tell. um, but just looking to hear yours really. Yeah. Mine is a, it's a weird one, truthfully. <laughs>
2: um, I wish it was linear, but it's just not like all good stories. It's not. Um, I started my career in technology consulting. Um, I was with Deloitte consulting in the technology practice focused on large scale Oracle ERP implementation, which is uh, big, you know, systems uh, focused on finance and supply chain for about six years. And I really learned how businesses were supposed to work. The best thing of that work was twofold. I got to see all these different businesses from the inside out and kind of pick them apart and really ask them why, why they did things differently Um, and start to build a a central hypothesis for myself on the way that different organizations, specifically manufacturing, should work, which is really amazing. Um, And then the other thing I got incredible exposure to was really, really strong leadership, both male and female, uh, from an early point of my career. I think companies like Deloitte are amazing with that because they give you exceptional challenges to lead at an early age, and then they give you strong mentorship. And mentorship has been something that has carried me through the the turns in my career. Um, after about six years, I was top 5% the whole time I was there. I'm a crazy type A. Anybody who knows me knows that for sure. I go at like a 90 miles per hour. Um, and I really wanted to go into an industry and hone something I loved a little bit more closely than kind of large-scale Oracle ERP, which is a little bit dry. And so I had moved from uh, Washington DC metro area out to the San Francisco Bay area. And I went to Gap Inc. And I basically was like, I love fashion. I love retailing. I understand how businesses work. You know, where do I fit in? And they kind of didn't know what to do with that because it's a really random thing to say to a recruiter. Um, And what the woman said to me, was like, okay, well, with that attitude, we can probably find a place for you. And they brought me into a really interesting part of the business called the Franchise Supply Chain Business. And um, the franchise business was 44 international markets that Gap Inc. did not wholly own. They worked through best-in-class franchisees who really understood that core customer. And what they would do is effectively sell product through franchisees in markets that were hard to reach or really, really different than the core markets in North America. Um, So some super fun ones were UAE, Saudi, um, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Brazil, Argentina, All these really interesting cultures that loved Gap brands. And it was incredible from a supply chain perspective and from an operations challenge, because you're talking about the global supply chain at its finest. It's incredibly complex, 44 international supply chains at different points of life and at different seasons. You know, in Australia, it's a different season than we have, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, things like that. Um, And just this massive, uh, this massive ball of wax to untangle. So I started first in finance and just set up really great core practices around forecasting. So everyone had really good visibility to the organization and where the gaps were and then shifted over to logistics strategy, had the pleasure of working with teams across the entire world on how we build a better supply chain to serve different markets. Um, And really started thinking about where the product came from. And for me personally, this was where I started having a lot of theses around sustainability and what we needed to do from a global supply chain perspective to change the world for the better. Um, And at the same time, this was also the emergence of all these incredible DTC brands in San Francisco, like Everlane, Bonobos, Rothy's, kind of the next generation of retailing. And I really fell in love with the way that they were using data and I started to say, wow, I want to use data that way. And I want to build something that's really close to the customer, that's very intimate to their need, and I want to solve problems for them. Um, so I moved. I had moved from San Francisco to London, and then uh, London, I was doing a little bit of cool business development, which was an amazing experience with the British team, and then back to New York and kind of said, "You know, do I want to stay with Gap Inc? Do you want to look around? And I was actually recruited by a company called ZX Ventures. And ZX Ventures is the venture capital and innovation arm of AB InBev. And AB InBev is the largest CPG company in the world. They're a $58 billion company, um, most notably known for brands like Budweiser, Stella, Corona, all the beer brands you can think of, honestly. Um, And they are a giant company with a huge amount of brands. And what they brought me in to do was to think of how we could build revenue generating businesses around the brands that weren't related to beer. And that was just the weirdest and coolest challenge. Like, it's, it's a strange right. thing. <laughs> um, and so for two years, I traveled around the world with a creative director, and we would go on a customer safari, and we would say, who is the Lefe customer, and what do they do? And so we would realize they were a 35 to 45-year-old male, they drink Lefe after work, they have one, and then when the food hits the table, they uh, switch to wine because of a perception that it matches better with food. And so we said, okay, how do we stop that experience? How do we stop that switching? And what do we build from a product perspective to do that? And so we built a beer wash cheese. And it was actually like a cheese program for Pavlo Aleph. And it showed the customer that they could have beer paired with cheese. And it kept them drinking beer through dinner, which was the central closet. Um, so it's a small anecdote, but we built 3,000 different products. So huge amount of products in nine different countries. Um, so like... China, South Korea, Australia, UK, Germany, Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Mexico. And it was just an incredible experience to build a business um, from zero to north of 50 in about two years. And after two years, I was also on the road for 75% of the time. I have a loving husband um, who was very, very understanding. And I was kind of thinking, like, what do I want to do? Where do I want to take these skills? Because now I've worked, you know, in highly you know, highly functional management teams through Deloitte. I've worked in large organizations with strong sense of purpose like Gap. And I've worked in high growth kind of innovation with ZX Ventures. Where do we want to go next? And I found Territory. Um, and I loved Territory from the, from the very beginning because what I saw was kind of the original imprint of Territory. It was this very interesting company that was founded in 2012. So I'm not the founder, which I think you guys know. And the founder, Patrick, had such a specific need and a specific dream because he was doing CrossFit and he wanted to eat paleo food, because he really believed that paleo food was going to change his life. And he was a software engineer, so he's not going to make the food himself. Never was like, I'm going to go buy a kitchen and make paleo food. said, I'm a software engineer. Let me find chefs and then let me build software to help them serve me and serve others like me. So it was a wonderful founding story. Um, and Territory had been founded with this perfect product market fit. We had started off as a chef from network from the beginning, finding high quality kind of dark kitchen hour production from uh, chef, our first chef, Chef Rochelle. She's still with us. Um, and we've grown the network really, really widely from one to 40 since then, but really connecting those high intentional customers with uh, the food that they craved. And what happened through the early parts of territory was that the paleo movement became the primal movement, became Whole30, became keto. And there were lots of different fragments in the intentional eating space where people really started to think about what they put in their mouth. And at the same time, the consumer then is also thinking about different ways of fitness. They're going to different channels. And in the 2008 timeframe, it's kind of like the perfect mashup of all those things. Territory starts advertising online and kind of pulls out of the the world of hyper fitness and CrossFit. And we also have all this access to really high quality production. And it's a marriage made in heaven. And the business just took off. Um, and I came in right as that was really happening and helped the founder uh, right from the beginning just think about how do you talk to customers in the digital world? How do you build a direct-to-consumer business that is less married to a specific fitness segment or a specific food segment and more about finding those customers and how do we build for them? Um, so the reason I give you the long story is that my personal journey coming here was really about taking all this work experience and finding a place where I felt it matched my personal beliefs and my personal dreams as well, um, I started experimenting. As a complete aside, I started experimenting with my health early in my uh, my like early twenties because I lost my father to a stage four glioblastoma when I was 21 years old, mm-hmm. um, and that's brain cancer. It's very very severe, and it became a question for me of Is this my future? Yeah. And I think everyone who has a loss like that really starts to think about what they can do. And I started to go down this path of like, do I get tested for things? Do I go down this like really medical path? And I started to say, how would I change my life if I knew the answers? And so I started to experiment with my own health. I went gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free really early. Um, and, and you know I think early on friends were like, what are you doing? And I was like, if this is the path, then I have to find it. Um, I'm not so strict anymore. But when I saw territory you know, all those years later, I said, this is a company that makes it easy to figure out what's right for you. And that's why that's why I came over. Because I was like, holy cow, this is an amazing business model, an incredible group of people, and a real need that I see getting bigger and bigger in the world every, every year. Um, so that's how I ended up here today. And it's where we go in the future also. It's to find more people like you and I who are trying to make those small changes in their life. Maybe it's something that's triggered it. Maybe it's a loss in the family. Maybe it's that bad doctor's appointment or maybe it's just the stress that you're feeling every day and helping you live a more empowered life for your goals.
1: Man, you are, that's fantastic. And, and if, that, <laughs> if that's the long version, man, it's I can listen to you forever. That, And you know, one of the takeaways that I that I also hear is special, and I'm sorry about your dad. Um, Thank you. But it's, you, you live a mantra of like, Focus on the things you can control Mm -hmm. and there is your diet and what you, what you take in. Um, Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, This is Nancy. Uh, So I'm going to throw another one at you. And I feel like you kind of um, gave us a little bit of a preview. So this past year has brought changes to the operations of many companies. And I know pre COVID, Territory was moving in a rapid pace, fantastic direction with a focused distribution model. What are some ways Territory had to pivot this past year?
2: Oh, man. Well, you know, the real question, you should ask the rest of the team, because I'm sure they'd be like, Ellis made us crazy.
1: Well, I'm (laughs) going to commend the rest of the team after you answer this, because I, as your risk manager, I've watched how you've done it very safely. So share, share with us.
2: Thank you. Well, thank you so much for saying that. I would say the biggest pivot for territory was just in the physical world. We had distribution um, through physical gyms. Our our legacy model was that we would deliver food to refrigerators that were located in gyms around your city, and then you go pick up the food. Um, And truthfully, when COVID hit, we had to shut it all down. And it was an incredible moment for the company because first and foremost, a cultural legacy around this is the way our business is built, Um, the partners that we work with in those fitness communities, how are you going to support them? And then what does it mean for us from a financial future? So I would say that during the pivot, my natural inclination um, is definitely go to the people first and said, OK, we got 42 people on staff. Like, how do we keep them all employed? Because who knows what's going to happen? Um, that's probably not the most PC answer. But as a business leader, I was like, I got to protect my people. I got to protect my customers. And um, what I love that came out of COVID, it seems weird to say that. But what I love is that we came out really focused meaning every single person had a strong focus of protecting the customer and keeping them well-fed every single day. We had no service interruptions during COVID. Zero. It was amazing. And it's because of the rigor of our team. It's the rigor of our safety team, the rigor of our operations. It's even things like the rigor of our customer service, just finding customers, reaching out to them, making sure they have what they need. And we have a really tight relationship with our customers. We were getting inbound uh, requests from customers that are saying, I'm autoimmune protocol and I cannot go to the grocery store. Is there any way you can help me get groceries? And so we said, okay, what do we have access to that we can do this? And we said, we can access the food supply chain through restaurants, uh, which had completely broken down. I'm sure you guys all saw the pictures of like, farmers with crops rotting on the side of the field and then empty grocery stores, right? There was some stunning imagery this year. We said, and for me as a supply chain practitioner first, I was like, we can fix this with supply chain because the supply exists, it's just in the wrong part of the chain. And so we quickly spun up like a grocery box, which honestly, it was a COVID product. we sunsetted it now, um, but we were able to keep people in fresh fruits and vegetables during a time when they couldn't leave their homes. So incredibly proud of that even though it was just a temporary thing that we've done and we'll, we'll rethink it for 2021 for sure. Uh, we've launched a lot of new business lines, a lot of new products. We launched more kid friendly products so that people couldn't feed their kids when they were trying to figure out what does learning from home mean? Um, and we really just started saying, how do we talk to this customer more effectively, more authentically? Um, so every single part of territory, marketing, culinary operations, technology, you know, everyone, um, we, focused 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 on that customer and i think that is how we came through so strong we had a very good year as i'm sure we can you can guess um and for me that's that's the best thing that could have happened is that we were able to focus come through it well and are facing 2021 with so much strength
1: that's fantastic and uh, again i have to commend your team in watching how you had to change things logistically oh yeah it is not easy it involves this thing called transportation and wheels and Mm -hmm. the way that you all handled it. Um, again, it is safe. You, you are safe to the world. You're safe to your employees.
2: Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And we have an incredible team. I could talk forever about the quality of our team. Um, because we have a team that when, when there's a problem, we fix it. We are such a group of people that are just problem solvers and customer first problem solvers. So it's like, we can, flex our logistics, figure out the right way to go, figure out the right ice pack out, all those things rapidly and and just with quality. um, I couldn't be more proud than I am of our team.
1: Kudos. Thank you. Okay. um, Switch gears on you a little bit. Yeah. Um, As a startup, capital raises are a big part of the evolution of a company. Oh, Um, yes, they are. (laughs) What has that process looked like for you?
2: Oh my gosh. Raising capital is one of those things that you either love it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you should probably not run a venture-backed company. Mm-hmm. That's what I would just say. Yep. And I don't say it with cheek. I say it with authenticity because I would say that I'm always raising capital. Um, I'm always open to every conversation with everyone because part of raising capital is creating a buzz around the company and sharing your vision for the company. And it's on you when you're raising money to like really hear what people have to say. And I would say that, you know, raising capital, the most, in, like the best way is when I get in front of somebody and they're like, no, I don't see it. And I'm like, why? <laughs> because I see it so clearly. And right. that's the, that's the challenge, right? That's a challenge as a CEO. And that's the challenge when you're building corporate culture is you want to create a culture where people can say, I don't think this is right. And I don't see this working out because if you don't, then you're going to create an echo chamber of yourself right? You're going to create an echo chamber of just yesing. Um, So I would say that raising capital, it's hard. It's a business. It's like a whole, it's 50 to 75% of your job as a CEO of a venture backed company. And you've got to love it. Um, Because if you love it, it gives you energy and you get off of every phone call, even the bad ones feeling like, okay, it didn't work out, but I feel good. And if it doesn't give you energy, it will just drain you of all your creativity. Um, So it gives me a lot of energy, as you can probably guess. I love talking to investors because I challenge them to find a better business and territory. And more often than not, they're like, I can't. This is a great business, which is amazing.
1: You're just so passionate about your mission. Absolutely. It just validates it every time that you uh, have that conversation. I get it. Exactly. All right, so... Moving over. Um, Navigating remote work has been Mm. a top of mind for many leaders this Mm -hmm. year. Um, You were already well-versed in a remote work environment prior to COVID. So what advice would you have for other leaders who are now leading remote teams?
2: Yeah, I have to share this funny anecdote first. Um, When I was fundraising in the summer of uh, May 2019, we were a hundred percent remote company and we tell people that we say, they say, well, where are you based out of and say, well, our headquarters is in the Washington DC metro area, but our leadership team is spread across New York, Washington DC, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Los Angeles, which is true. Mm -hmm. And people would say, that's so risky. And we actually (laughs) would get, yeah, we'd get people who said to our faces, you know, we just don't believe that remote distributed teams can innovate, that they can perform. And we think it's a risk in your business. And that was always really interesting to me because I believe that remote teams allow us to access better quality talent um, without the bias of having people like live near cities, quite frankly. Because you can build great teams in Silicon Valley and you can build them in New York City, but they're expensive. And you're only getting talent that has pre-selected and self-selected to be able to afford to live in those places or desires to live in those places. And I am a believer that great talent can be anywhere. And so it was funny because when we were having these conversations in 2019, it was like this hill to climb. Now in 2020 and 2021, everybody's remote. And I'm saying like, I don't want to say I told you so, but I think a lot of big companies are starting to say, wow, I didn't know this. I was listening on Clubhouse the other day to a couple people from Andreessen Horowitz, and they were saying like the big bet or the big shock of 2020 was that all the tech companies were able to go remote and innovation kept going. And that's what we learned at Territory years ago. What we learned was that when you are focused on a mission, when you have a strong culture that's not just based on the founder and the founder's dream, a lot of startups are, but it's based on a real mission that everyone can talk to, that everyone can really feel in their hearts, you can engage your team remotely and you can get them excited about their work without having to bring them into an office and have free candy in the office and things like that. Right. Um, And so my biggest piece of advice to companies that are struggling with remote is, well, actually, first and foremost, make sure you have the right technology. Because I'll tell you, I have some friends from big companies that like the first week of the pandemic, they were like, we don't even have video teleconferencing. And I was like, oh, man, you guys are in trouble. (laughs) Like, You guys are in real trouble. Like, you get everybody on Google Meet, Zoom, whatever it is. But like, you have to be able to see people's faces and you have to be able to like communicate well, right? Phone calls are too hard. And then. Go back to the basics of your mission and your values and talk talk truthfully to your company about it mm-hmm. and talk about the things that in your mission that you think you aren't doing well or the things that you want to work on or the things that are important to you as a CEO, founder, or executive suite um, that you want help with from your community. Because if you can bring that culture forward and make it mean something besides compensation and besides you know benefits, it can be real culture, you can have a high-performing remote team. Because people feel intrinsic motivation, and they feel excited to come to work. And that's the biggest worry with remote teams is that people aren't excited to come to work, and there's nothing physical to engage them. Um, So it's culture, culture, culture,
0: and culture is more than just benefits
1: great. That's great. Thank you.
0: Yeah, Ellis, I I think what's interesting and and to your response to Nancy's question is, you know, we always think about how remote work then opens up the, uh, opens up access to uh, human capital, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly you address that. But what I took out of that is that you're not only opening up the pool uh, to different human capital, but you're also, opening up to, to how those people, their ideas, their values, mm-hmm. how they see their communities and, and how can that not help um, That's right. a, your company, you know? Um, so That's right. that, was, uh, that was interesting for me to hear you say that.
2: Yeah. And I think it ties in with so many new themes that are coming out in business in 2020 that quite frankly should have been out in the long run. But when we talk about diversity, you really have to think about diversity as your secret weapon. Diversity is not about building a company that like ticks a diversity box. It's building cognitive diversity, ethnic diversity, racial diversity, background diversity, location diversity. These are the things that help you touch all those different customers because someone can say, hey, I know that thing or this person, this customer segment is like me. And the more diversity you have around your virtual table, the more customer segments you will understand inherently. And that's how you can beat the market. Um, And so for me, I think diversity is one of our secret, secret keys to success at Territory and the fact that we foster transparent communication so that when we bring people on, no matter where they're from, what level they're from, anything like that, they have direct line access to the whole company. We're about 65 people now, so we're not a huge company, but we're not small. And we stay really tight meaning that we create open forums for people to share ideas, open forums for people to ask questions and ask the tough questions especially. And then um, really good just communication across all levels so that when you come in, junior, senior, executive, any of those things, you really feel like your voice has a place um, and fostering that voice is so important. Hmm.
1: And just oh. thinking about your your journey, I'm thinking that that AB in Bev mm-hmm. must have really opened your eyes when you just talk about the whole multicultural global view you saw of the world and yeah. with a beverage.
2: Yeah, <laughs> or- yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm so privileged that I've worked with, with so many different types absolutely. of teams yeah. and like global teams are incredible. Um, and just so fun. I I have so many fun stories about traveling around the world and working with different teams and spending, you know, 48 hours straight with someone I've just met and is now on my team and we're trying to figure out something really challenging uh, one of my board members always says, I feel like you've lived like 25 lives. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, it's true. But I think for me, it's very much about maximizing the time that you have and maximizing the experiences you have. Because I really feel like you're not having a great time. If you're not loving what you do, you don't get energy from the things that you have to do every day. You're just wasting your time and you're wasting your talent. And it's on you to really make sure that you're spending your talent in the right way. Um, and that's something I say to the women I mentor because I try to give back to the community a lot. I mentor about four to six small CPG companies, um, usually female founders, but not really on purpose. Um, and really try to just share what I've learned about building and scaling businesses to help them get through some of the really tough parts of that first like million dollars of revenue. Mm-hmm. And what I always say is, if it's not giving you energy, then you're you're probably wasting your time. This hustle is not for everyone and that's fine. Right. I think the hardest yeah. thing is when you've bought into a career you've bought into a track, That you've just bought into for so long there's so much dissonance against shifting but the answer is you've got many many years ahead of you you have a lot of proprietary goodness in the skills that you've amassed and it's your job to figure out what's going to make you happy because what makes you happy is where you're going to be the most successful
0: yeah i i i'm over here i just like raising my hands up um (laughs) to your comments uh to your to your last comment and then you know, to your comment on diversity, I know that, you know, that's top of mind for, for so many leaders. And I think you, you, you hit it spot on of not checking the box, but to make yourself a better company. And, mm-hmm. and that's going to be your secret weapon. And, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's a message worth shouting from the hilltops, <laughs> Alice, I think. Um, well, <laughs> wrapping up here, um, you know, I, I read a quote, quote recently, um, from you. And I'm going to read it here and and then give you a chance to respond. But you said, building a company that is good for our customers and for the world is how we can pave the way for the next generation of woman led companies. And so I would just ask you, you know, as we close the podcast, what advice do you have for the next generation of women professional leaders? Oh, man. I've never
2: been quoted to myself as a side note. (laughs) That was very cool just then. Um, I would say that it's about finding the thing you're authentically passionate about. Find your passion and then drive hard in that passion and don't let yourself off the hook. Don't give up, but then Mm. also don't beat yourself up. I think women often are stuck in tracks because we believe some things about ourselves or about the world around us or about the infrastructure around us and we get stuck. And I think men are more capable of pulling themselves out of those paths because something happens when we're like tiny people where men say, I have the right to do this. And women say, no, no, I have to keep my head down. And it's your job to pull your head up. Yeah. To pull your head up and say, okay, what do I want to do? How do I take ownership over my own career? And how do I change the world around me? And the reason I want to build companies that are good is that Well, first and foremost, there's a lot of companies out there that aren't that good. And I think every great company that we build that has strong values, a strong mission, it does well for the body, it does well for the planet, and has a strong culture, shows the world that women leaders um, are exceptional leaders, and it shows how we can pave the way for the next generation. So I have a daughter. She's, you know, 17 months now, which is crazy. And she's going to grow up in a world where there's many companies that are great companies, not big evil corporate companies, but great companies led by women. And she's never going to have that friction of saying, is that my role? Can I do that thing? And it will be more about how she wants to build her career towards her passion. Um, and so that's what I'm passionately out here doing, making it better for the next generation.
0: Yes. And, um, how, how, as, as we say yes. in the Aaron's household. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. And, um, that's great. Yeah, I have two girls. Nancy, I, I know, has a daughter as well. And um, and, and that's, I, I feel your passion and, and I share the same. So, um, absolutely. Well, Ellis, um, thank you for joining us. And thank you for just opening up uh, to us about your path and, and about territory. Um, so, we, we super appreciate your time. Um, we want to thank our listeners as well. Um, and, Nance, do you have anything to say uh, just, in conclusion? Uh, yeah.
1: Alice, thank you, and um, I thank you for that great team that you have cultivated. Because we work with them every day, and uh, we're we're all customers. So uh, we're in, we look forward to when the world gets a little more normal that we're going to share a couple of territory foods. Uh, meals together and we're going to yes. have a couple of those beers together and i'm happy to try that cheese at some point yeah.
0: too. <laughs> i
2: definitely hope so and yeah thank you guys so much for having me um really appreciate the opportunity and thank you to all your listeners for listening and incredible that you guys are doing this and happy women's history month Amen. Yeah, absolutely right. bye guys Take care. Thank you. excellent thank you guys